Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I understand we had a little problem with the sound last week, so if you can't hear me in the back at any time, just stand up or throw something at me or something. So, um, how we doing over there, see? Okay, well, he's the barometer. Um, going to talk about, um, I wanted to do a little bit of a summary. I know some of y'all might not have been here. Some of you might have dozed off. And so I just <laughs> talked a little bit about what we talked about last week. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German theologian that was born in 1906 to a very, very, into a very privileged environment. Um, his oldest brother died <clears throat> very early in World War One, within two weeks of being inducted. And this had a lot to do with Dietrich's uh, views on being a pacifist as, as we go along into the story. He was a very, very gifted musician, specifically the piano is, was his favorite instrument, and that's where his parents and family thought he would be um, making a career. But instead of that, he uh, decided to study theology. Theology was not a, a well thought of, at least by his family, uh, area, so they were very shocked and not very happy with this. But this was at the early age of 13. He stuck with that, then, of course, through the rest of his life. He, as I said, was was born into a very privileged environment. He was able to travel because his father was a uh, very well, came from very well-to-do family. And so his travels, he went to Rome, went to Barcelona, and the United States. These are all the things we talked about last week. And uh, had an opportunity to really experience uh, life and people that were not near as fortunate as he was. So uh, that's kind of where we left him. He has just come back from, from his trip to New York. I want to spend a little bit of time right now on some of his theology. Uh, I've written this down because I get kind of tangled up in it, and I do think that this is one of the more important parts of what we're going to talk about. Some of these things, to me, seem like they're more mainstream today than they would have been back at the, in the time when he was, was uh, touting this. So... Uh, <clears throat> He, while he was in uh, Barcelona, he was an assistant minister, and he had uh, opportunity to write sermons, essays, and so he wrote three that have some renown, and the second one is the one I'm going to talk about for just a second. The name of it was Jesus Christ and the Essence of Christianity, and and his main theme in that was Christ has been exiled from the li- lives of most Christians. Of course, we build him a temple, but we live in our own houses. Religion has been exiled to Sunday morning to a place into which one gladly draws for a couple of hours. So that sounds a lot like even where we are today. Very, very, uh, very profound statement. He, and we're going to talk about this as we go along. Some of his, one of his books specifically has been misunderstood. I'm going to explain that to you more. One of his, uh, main themes or thoughts is what he calls religionless Christianity, which sounds kind of like an oxymoron. And his explanation for that is, Christ has given scarcely any ethical prescriptions that were not to be found already in the contemporary Jewish rabbis or in pagan literature. Religion and moral performance are the energies of Christianity and Christ because they prevent fake they prevent the fake idea that we can reach God through our own actions. He calls this the Tower of Babel. Uh, 
experience. Man trying to reach God by himself, and of course he failed. So we've got to have God reaching out to us. God has to reveal himself to us. And I've been waiting for almost a, a, a week and a half to say this, but I'm about to say something important. <laughs> for those of y'all that don't know Jim McCormick, one of my favorite people, and that's one of his favorite statements. But this is what I think kind of sums up, you have to think about it, but it kind of sums up Bonhoeffer's theology in a nutshell. Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the finite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so vast. I'm going to say that again. Good. I had to read Good. it. I may say it three times. <laughs> I'm going to give you $20 to say it. Roger asked me to talk slower. If you believe Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless. And this is God's grace that we're referring to. And the finite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so vague. And that is what is valued by the world. The possessions, the stuff, is the way I read that. Can I read it one more time? Can I read it one more time? <laughs> Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the finite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so vague. Everybody got that? That is really good. Well, thank you, Roger. Been waiting for 20 years for you to say that. Okay, so that's kind of a little nutshell of Bonhoeffer. For those of you that didn't, that weren't here last week, I'm going to talk a little bit about Germany. Uh, of course, they have lost World War One. We talked a lot about inflation. I'm not going to go back into that again. But but inflation has just run completely wild, and 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 they can't. Uh, a lot of civil unrest. But the microphone back. Well, I'm talking oh. about this. High technology. Uh, can everybody hear? Was it? Do I need both of them? No. See, am I okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, these give Hitler an opportunity to to be the dictator. The Germans see the democracy that was put in place after World War One as being the cause for a lot of their problems. So they're anxious to get back to a dictator. The German Church, of course, has affiliated itself with the with the government. At the end of the war, they are uh, lost a lot of prestige, lost a lot of credibility, and um, just not really a dominant force in in uh, the culture of the time. Uh, they do not take a stand as as uh, Hitler is persecuting uh, not only Jews but gypsies, handicaps, all all kind of people that don't meet their standards. And uh, the church will not take a stand on that. So Bonhoeffer and some of these other people form a church called the Confessing Church. And the reason for that is they confess Christ to be the center of the church. One thing we didn't talk about. Uh, last week, but it, in the middle, in, in June of 1934, is the Night of the Long Knives, uh, quite a few, uh, powers, uh, were assassinated. Hitler is, of course, after this point in time, the absolute, uh, ruler of the, of the, uh, country. So this week, let's see how am I doing on time. This week, we're gonna, uh, pick up in 1930, 1935, excuse me. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about last week too much about is his family. He does have a twin sister, I told you that. She marries a Jewish man about this time, which brings the Jewish question much closer to home for their whole family. The father of his brother-in-law 
dies. And, and he is asked, uh, Bonhoeffer is asked to speak at that funeral. He is a theologian, uh, has been ordained by this time. And he goes to the church and asks them for guidance because this would be a, a pretty uh, controversial type request. He sees it. And the church suggests that he does not speak at the funeral. And he takes their request and does not speak at the funeral. And this is the one thing that I've seen in, in the little bit that I've read that he really regrets. As, he, as time goes by, he really regrets this. He apologizes to his sister numerous times because he sees it as, as uh, taking the easy way out of a situation when he knows he should be doing the other thing. Um, okay. <clears throat> His um, friends, he is, and I didn't mention this, I mentioned it last week, he is, if not the first theologian in Germany, one of the very first to, to denounce Hitler. He is the, um, I see him as the biblical uh, Daniel that, Don was talking about. He's the one that says uh, we're doing the wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. If something doesn't change, bad things are going to happen. He's telling that to the country. He's telling that to the church. Uh, so he is um, kind of in, starting to become get into the uh, crosshairs of the Nazi Party. His friends realize that, realize how much potential he has, and so they're looking for other opportunities for him. Uh, and during this time, he makes a and you, and you may have heard this, a, 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 a Jeremiah sermon, they call it. And he talks about Jeremiah and how uh, God made his life miserable until he did what God wanted him to do. And he, in some ways, compares himself to that. And he, if anything, sees what his destiny is going to be, I think, at this time. Um, he also has brother, uh, one brother, one brother-in-law that are in the government and far enough up in the ranks that they, excuse me, that they um, can see, excuse me, see some of the atrocities that the Nazis are, are doing to the Germans, to the other people. Most of the people in Germany, of course, uh, the, the, uh, all this has been uh, filtered through the propaganda machine, but they know pretty much what's going on. So, of course, Bonhoeffer knows what's going on, and his whole family does. Um and and as Bonhoeffer speaks out about it, the the friends want him to try to try to kind of keep him out of the mainstream. Uh, and as I mentioned before, this confessing church is not a state-supported church, so they had to drum up their own support. And he is Bonhoeffer is asked asked to be a uh, in, uh, instructor at a seminary. And they have to find a place to have the seminary, which is, happens just to be way out in the country, and they have to find patrons to support it. So there's a elderly woman uh, out in the country that has some land, they use it, and she helps support them. She's going to be important in the story later on. And uh, it just seems as uh, Finkenwald, uh, for those of y'all that care about the names, is where this is. I'm, I'm just out from Berlin, where it was. Uh, and it... Just that things keep happening to kind of take him out of the main throw, main action of the of the um, happenings with Hitler. So in excuse me, in 1937, the Nazis start cracking down on the Confessing Church. In 1938, Bonhoeffer is arrested. First time he's been arrested, and he's just becoming more and more known to the Nazis as all this uh, happens. 
and we're getting extremely close, of course, to the to the war starting, which is in 1939. And uh, with the war imminent and the persecution against the Jewish people has become uh, extremely pronounced now, Bonhoeffer's twin sister and her family, who who is the Jewish man and their children, leave to go to London. Have to leave under at, at night all the things that you've seen in the movies, uh, and and. Um, but the confessing church still does not take a stand on the Jewish issue. And that's something that Bonhoeffer really is upset about. That's something that he wants them to, to do. So anyway, moving right along, in 1939, Bonhoeffer is of the age that he is needs to be uh, registered with the military. And this gives him quite a struggle because he is... Uh, pacifist, he doesn't believe in what's going on, but yet he is very patriotic. So he looks at all of the options that are available, and uh, again, he has friends looking out for him, trying to kind of keep him out of harm's way as best they can. They find him a opportunity in America. Uh, it's going to be a two to three year assignment, and he's going to be the pastor to some German refugees in New York. This looks like the perfect solution to the problem. They are very anxious to get him because he is such a um, renowned, such a reputation, people know him, so they're very anxious to get him. So he leaves to go to America. This is 1939, right before the war starts. He is in America. Uh, I was asked, Vince Grossi asked me this morning, what was the one thing that stood out the most in my mind about his life? And this is what I'm about to tell you. He, he was safe and secure in America, and he stayed there for 26 days, got on the ship, can't went back to Germany. When I talked to Mike Miller about this, just because I, we were talking, the quote that Mike Miller said, and of course this is Mike Miller, he shifts gears and he can just you know, go from whatever to whatever. This is the quote that he gave me, word for word. This is, and this is the quote that Bonhoeffer makes about coming back to, the, back to Germany. I have made a mistake in coming to America. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will face two alternatives of evil, willing the defeat of the nation that Christian civilization may survive or willing the victory of the nation, thereby destroying the, destroying the civilization. I know which I must choose, but I cannot make that choice in security. So this is this is one of the things that has just fascinated me, and 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 you can't help but put yourself in the same situation and say, "Gee, whiz, what would I do in this situation?" He is in the United States, secure. He knows that nothing will happen to him. Uh, very easy for him to stay. The people in the United States want him to stay. The people in Germany wanted him to stay in the United States, and yet he he comes back to Germany. Right, and I even think the last ship that left the United States heading for Germany or wherever he went, this is the last one before the war actually started, before before Hitler uh, attacked Poland or whatever happened to start the war. So when he when he comes back, he has has always been a somewhat a part of the resistance that his brother in law and, and brothers are doing, but now he becomes a formal part of the resistance. And he is um Track can travel. He's got contacts in different countries, so he's traveling, but he's he's working as a double agent. So, um, what 
the best I can understand what actually happened to bring him onto the uh, Nazis' radar was he was helping smuggle Jewish people out of Germany, and he was having to what we would say launder money to to support them, and that's how they caught him or got his name. And so he has become a very suspicious person. And they have tapped his phone. They have tapped the brother-in-law, the brother's phone. They know that they're doing something. They're not sure exactly what they're doing. So here he is. He's in the middle of the uh, resistance. Uh, They have several foiled attempts to try to kill Hitler. Uh, He's got his phone tapped. He's probably well aware of that. He is a very serious, uh, structured German man in his mid 30s, so what would you think he would do next as a part of his staying well within his character? And he takers falls in love with a woman that is about half his age and uh, proposes to her. They're engaged, and uh, this is actually the granddaughter of the woman that was the patron for him some years back when he was running the seminary. So here he is. Uh, just something completely out of character for him. She is uh, not 20 years old. He's in his mid-30s. And so he is uh, now got something else that's on his mind besides just everything else that he's got going on. 1943, he gets arrested. And this is as, as part of the uh, work that he had been doing to get the Germans out. So he was not uh, engaged, he was engaged in 1942, so they were engaged for less than a year, and they put him in, in prison, and uh, the German family that he belongs to is so well prepared, they've already determined a code system that if any one of them gets arrested, how they're going to be able to communicate back and forth to each other. So they have taken books, and on one on each page, or or select pages, they will put a dot under one letter on the entire page. And so when you look through the book, you might get one sentence out of the entire book. But this by this way, they're able to communicate back and forth to each other. And so they can all say the, have the same stories. There are three of them in prison now. And this is how they're communicating. Uh, while he is in, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but trying to get through everything because I, the end of the story is where I really want to emphasize. There have been... Several attempts to uh, assassinate Hitler, all of them, of course, have failed. The same resistance group is responsible for the Valkyrie attempt. The movie's made. I don't even think Bonhoeffer's name is even mentioned in it. He is in prison at the time this happens, but it's still the, the people that he's been associated with. So, of course, the, the man that uh, left the uh, bomb at the in the bunker was captured, and tortured, and, and Bonhoeffer's name as brother his brother-in-law's name came up as being part of the resistance. So this, of course, sealed the fate of, of the three of them. And they asked, or they were, uh, Hitler was determined that he was going to assassinate or execute all of these people. So uh, while he's in prison, he has, and, and we, we talked about how he was smuggling stuff out, also letters to one of his good friends, and one of the books that is written, Ethics, was written from those letters that was was smuggled out of the prison. And there's been a lot of misunderstanding, miscommunication about those letters, and that's what I was referring to when I said the uh, religionless Christianity. That has been talked to as some as a godless Christianity, which in my mind is not what he was trying to say. 
but but uh, there have been some people that have written books using it in that way. So he is um, <coughs> moved to a another prison. Flossenburg is the name of it, and uh, he gets there, and he has they have uh, a, very, a very much like a kangaroo court for him, sentence him to be hanged. Uh, give him a little bit of time. He preaches a sermon to the to the uh, other people in the camp, and he uh, is is hanged. And uh, the camp doctor there, of course, has to witness the hanging to ensure that they're all dead. He did not know who he was watching being hung. So the quote from that doctor is: He said a short prayer, talking about Bonhoeffer. He said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. If that isn't something for somebody that doesn't even know who you are to say about your death, it's very, very impressive to me. So, um, this is the 7th day of April, 1945. For those history majors that are here and and uh, Larry Douglas is not here, but he would tell you that on uh, two weeks after that, this particular camp was liberated. That's how close he came to living through this. Uh, and then one one week after that, Hitler committed suicide. So so he came extremely close to living through it, but but did not. Now the saddest, or one of the saddest parts of the whole thing, everything was in such a upheaval. His his family did not know anything about him. They knew the brother brother in law had been killed. They did not know anything about him. They were hoping that he was alive. His parents heard that there was a memorial going to be a memorial service on the BBC. Heard that there was going to be a service, they didn't hear a memorial service for uh Bonhoeffer. And so they thought that he was still alive. And so they tuned into this. This is actually on July 27th. This is considerably later than when he had died. And that's when they finally heard that he had been killed. So this is just a extremely tragic story all the way around. For his parents especially, I would say. So anyway, that's the story. The fascinating, it, it fascinated me from a lot of different aspects. Um, the, the theology, I think, because it seems to me to be more, much more mainstream today than it was back then. But the mere fact that he was uh, safe and secure in the United States and decided to take the ship back to Germany because of what he believed, knowing full well that he probably wouldn't live through it. As a, as a young man, he was uh, 39 when he, when he died. Very extremely young, extremely young. So if I've got a chance, I, I want to read these. I, I, I think George sent the questions back out again. I've got a lot more questions than i got answers, as I always do. And so these are just things to think about. Uh, I have had, uh, through the week, people have, have given me answers, or what they thought, to the questions. Of course, there's no correct questions. I mean, no correct answers. But uh, very insightful thoughts, and, and some of the people may want to share them with us. But I'm going to read them quickly, and then let y'all make any comments that you'd like to in the few minutes that we got left. Number one, how did Hitler hijack the church, and could it happen again? Can you accept the, can't even say it, that he's a pacifist as he plots to kill Hitler? Did German conditions push Bonhoeffer to situational ethics? 
He wanted the church, Bonhoeffer wanted the church completely separate from the state. Is that, is that different from what the ACLU demands today? Didn't put a question mark at the end of that, I should have. Would you, would you grant absolution to an individual that has killed a tyrant? The reason for this question, when he was teaching the, the uh, seminary, teaching theology to the uh, up-and-coming up pastors, he was already a part of the resistance, a very informal part, but knew they were attempting to kill Hitler. So by he was putting his stamp of approval on that and knew he was. And so he asked them that. At the time, they thought that it was a rhetorical question. But he was really something that he was struggling with in his own mind. And the question that I have wondered the entire time, ever since I've uh, started reading this, is why isn't Bonhoeffer better known and why isn't he recognized as a role model today? Because I dare say from most of the people that I've talked to, people knew his name, knew a little bit about him, probably knew a lot more about him than I did, but did not probably understand all the fine points of his story, what what um, decisions he had made. So, comments? Anybody? I've heard some good. Yes, sir. One question. The book addressed the question of the guilt of the German people because many of them said, oh, we didn't know about this, and yet the evidence contrary. Did the book get that question? Uh, no, I won't say it does per se, but it, it makes it sound like it was available for them if they wanted to to know it. And it would be easy also for them to kind of stick their head in the sand too and believe it. But I, I think there's so much of it that was evident that it would be very hard not to know it. Would be my, but the book I don't think addresses it per se. Also to answer your question. Um, I will say one other thing I want to say. Uh, the book, I've had as many comments about how in the world did you read such a big book and, you know, <laughs> we didn't know you knew that many words and you know, <laughs> how many pictures does it have in it, you know, heard all that stuff. But, um, and it does have some pic, does have some pictures. But, uh, the, I can't stress this enough, the DVD, uh, it's not on streaming Netflix. I didn't say that last week. It is a, the disc the, that you gotta get and put in your machine. Um, is very, very good. And they interview uh, some, he has nieces and nephews that are still alive. They interview them. Uh, his uh, fiance's sister, they interview her. Uh, very, very good. Some of the original footage it is just extremely well done. I think it's a PBS uh, CD. And it is not as good as the book, but it is extremely close to it. So, you know, for those of you that don't want to Read the the big book, Flossenburg, Flossenburg, F L O S S E, right where he died. Right, right. He was that. He was in prison. Um, he was in a different prison, and they took him to that. Of course, this is the very end of the war. Uh, Berlin is just in chaos, but they had the orders from Hitler that they had to get rid of these guys. And so they that was something that they put a lot of emphasis on. You would think that close to the end of the war that he would, might have a chance of slipping through. In Oklahoma City, they have the museum for the Thunderbirds from the 145th Infantry position, and they liberated Dachau. And there they have Hitler's uniform and some of his papers the man that took me through the museum had taken those from the bunker. That's why I wonder. It's really something to see. I walked into the the room on Dachau and I couldn't I couldn't stand, mm-hmm. stay in there. I left. But uh, these he had 
his therapist told him to go work at the museum to get over the war. Hmm. That's appalling. Yes, sir. Mama read the other day in the Wall Street Journal several weeks ago that the German government is starting over this again. They're excluding Jewish businesses and discriminating against Jewish businessmen again, starting over. They're going to try to start a cycle over again. Well, I, I didn't read that, but it's a, it's a sad, sad state. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I know what that means. Okay, I want to end with a brief prayer, please. Linda's asked me to talk first. Dear God, please make us mindful of those who have made sacrifices for our religious freedom, and political freedom. Please help us not to take this for granted. Please be with our military in harm's way. Help our leaders make good and informed decisions and to rely on your wisdom. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. <laughs> well, I, I'll let Paul Beecham will tell me. Okay, Linda, when I get up there, you go when it's time. So, another job for the president. Our Bible verse, and it's always interesting to me how these come up with, I've done them in January, and they become appropriate in August. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Timothy 1.7. And I thought, that just works just fine for our new officers coming in. And it it just kind of was a strange holy coincidence as I read that. And for me, self-discipline has been one of the harder parts to make sure that by the time I go to bed on Saturday night, I've got that long page filled out and that I got that clock set on Sunday morning. So I don't have to do that anymore. And Ann McNew is going to fill in for Bob Morrissey. Ann is our new vice president.